Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. I'm not sure that's, that's what David was getting at. I think it's encouraging us that there is a table here on earth, even in the presence of my enemies, even in the presence of my circumstances, my problems, my troubles. I don't have to wait to get to heaven to his table here on earth, that he's prepared a table for us here. That's what I believe it's saying. And we can feast at his table on the endless love and the grace, and no enemy or, or of any sort can take that away from us. Nothing can take that away from us. It might only be on Connect Group Sundays that we actually gather around a big wooden rectangle shape that we call a table, but every time we gather, there is a banquet prepared for us. The Lord has prepared a banquet for us. This morning, I would like to read from Luke 14, 15 to 24, if you want to prepare your Bibles for that. And this chapter is it's a great chapter. I wish I could read the whole thing to you right now. I encourage you to do that. This chapter starts with Jesus visiting the home of a prominent religious man. They call them the Pharisees in this case, I believe. And they discuss the lawfulness of healing on Sabbath, as well as some really interesting teaching regarding the places of honor, where they're sitting, and hospitality, and how it works in, in his kingdom. Can I just say that hospitality, I mean, you heard Quinn say this before, it's, it's massive in the Gospels. As I was reading this week, I was just studying the Bible, it was just like, it's such a big theme, like, how did I miss this? Right? It's, as, as Pastor Quinn said, Jesus, he was always or coming or going or about to have a meal. It was just so much food theme throughout the Gospels. It was a huge value of Jesus, a huge value. And so when, when we talk about fika, or we talk about we're going to have a barbecue, or any other opportunities to uh, have hospitality in our church, it's not just like a, a nice compliment. It's not like, oh, that would be good if we also had fika, you know, the serious stuff, and then fika at the end. No, hospitality is church. It's a huge deal. And I, I was like, thinking about it. I was like, imagine our church existed back in the time of Jesus. I could just imagine, like, uh, Jesus knocking on the door of the Halsteads. Sorry, Joe. I always use you. And uh, you're like, oh, cool. King Jesus. Just the man. I've rounded up the troops. I'm ready to deploy. We can take this land. You can be on your rightful throne. And he's like, actually, Joe, I've come here to speak to Stina. <laughs> it's like, hey, Stina, I was wondering, I was, we're going to have this little thing, a little shindig up in Galilee. Uh, there's going to be 5,000 people. Uh, I was wondering if you could whip up some baking, a nice little bit of fika. And she's like, well, I don't know if I have ingredients for 5,000. He goes, don't you worry about that. I'll fix the quantities. <laughs> That's how different it is, right? It's, it's, Jesus was really into hospitality. He was really into fika. He was really into getting people to, together around the table, fellowshipping around the table. It was a huge deal for him. And eating is a red thread throughout the Bible. It wasn't just Jesus that liked his food. If you've ever fasted as well, if you ever fasted, you've probably got a revelation that food is one of God's love languages, right? Yes. You know when you're taking that first bite, you know, after like, if you've had like a week of fasting, and it's just like a sandwich, it's just like, the Lord is good. Wow. Thank you for the senses of beautiful taste, the smells, and you're just like, wow. When God created food, you know, he, he was really loving on us, right? You know what I'm talking about. Meals are a big theme throughout the salvation story. 
I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve, they ate wrong and things went wrong, right? Uh, Melchizedek can never say his name right. You know, the high priest, he blessed Abraham. He came with some bread and wine and said, hey, let's party, right? And that was a foreshadow to the new covenant. The Hebrews were liberated as they ate the Passover meal. Jesus, as we heard about last week, he, he announced and he enacted the kingdom of heaven of how and whom he had meals with. He, he, he was showing us something there. This is how the kingdom works. This is, this is how we, we, we love on people, and this is how we include people. And finally, he introduced a new meal to confirm a new covenant, and we call that today communion or the Eucharist. So it should come to a, no surprise to us that Jesus was discussing table etiquette as kingdom principles. So let's do that. Let's read in Luke 14, 15, if you've got your Bibles handy. It says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. In other words, he was saying, gee, what an honor it would be to get an invite to God's banquet. Imagine that. Wow. Just imagine. Jesus responds, well, let me tell you a little story. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. I can relate. <laughs> the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads, the country lanes, make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of the banquet. Interesting. Remember that scripture, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then Matthew just touched on the bread and wine that satisfies, that comes from Christ. It's a little bit of a theme here, right? It's a banquet that's on offer. In this parable, Jesus paints a picture of an invitation that is actually to all. But as we read, not all accepted the invitation to the banquet because of other priorities got in the way. I really believe that whenever we gather, God is present. He's present right now and that he has prepared something for us. He's prepared something for each and every one of you. I believe that. It's my conviction. Whether it's a Connect Group Sunday or a gathering here today, there is something unique that the Holy Spirit has prepared, but we've got to be willing to do two things that I want to show you this morning. I'm going to give you the point straight away. We've got to make room for God. We've got to recognize a need for God. Now, I'm not, my, my efforts this morning, I'm not trying to stand here trying to say that you should never miss church gatherings, ever. That there is never an acceptable reason for not being at church on Sundays. But I could understand if you read that passage and maybe interpreted Jesus' parable as saying that, like really, you know, making you feel guilty 
about ever coming with an excuse to him, right? Buying property, a business investment, or your recent marriage might on the surface, they seem like legitimate excuses, right? But those listening to the parable in those days would have understood that these were, in fact, fake reasons. Because you would never buy a field without first inspecting it. I mean, imagine that. I bought a house. Oh, how is it? Oh, I haven't seen it. Let me go check it out later. That's crazy. Or you wouldn't buy livestock without being sure that they are fit for work. Oh, I just bought a car. Is it a good motor? Oh, I don't know. I haven't tried it. Should I? You wouldn't do that. Even a recent marriage in those days would not keep you away from an excuse to dine as a guest. I mean, it was a great honor to get invited to a banquet. So basically, it came down to a choice. Ah, can't be bothered to go. Darling, just say we're busy with something. Yeah, make up an excuse. This isn't the same as visiting relatives out of town, right? Or poor health, that means you can't come to church. Or working a Sunday shift that your boss insisted on. I'm talking about a choice not to make room for God's invitation. You see the difference there? Some new research came out recently that suggests the number one reason for Christians not attending church is not any real issues with the church's programs or the leadership styles, but they simply prefer to worship alone. The problem with that is it's not really, that's not really being a follower of Jesus. It's not what he modeled, and it's certainly not what he instructed his disciples to do. If we treat our faith as a private religion, it may be a written in the same way it forms the identity of us and is a practice that blesses and equips us for our mission to be that church that is reaching, that is discipling, and is building his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm thankful that most of the members of this church, they prioritize the gathering, right? They prioritize being around the brothers and sisters, whether it's here or at homes, but I challenge you to make a decision that Sunday is church. In our house, Sunday's church. You know, whether, unless we're in a different place or we're too sick so we don't want to come and make people sick, or, you know, some have a good excuse. Otherwise, we're in church. And it's part of the reasons why I like the new format because it's no longer like, oh, you know, uh, I'm going to connect on Wednesday or Saturday and I might even do church on Sunday, maybe. Now it's church on Sunday whether it's Connect or, or a meeting here, simply church on Sunday. The week begins on Sunday. We were just talking about this right now. I like to have that mindset that my week begins with being together with my brothers and sisters, starting the week off in the right way in the house of God. Amen. So I think, I think perhaps this isn't such a big issue when it comes to prioritizing. I think most of the people realize that that's, that's, that's something that, that's a goal at least for them. But I think more perhaps a subconscious issue for our sporadic attendance maybe is not just competing priorities in our calendar, of which I'm sure you have many, but it's recognizing the actual need for God. You'll notice the Bible that, in the Bible that Jesus often gave rich people a hard time. Do you notice that? And the thing is, is that God doesn't seem to be against wealth. He definitely doesn't seem to be against blessing. So why is he always... You know, giving these guys a hard time. And it, if you look a bit closer, you'll know that he is not against the fact that they're rich. But what he was addressing is an issue that wealthy people often have, that the poor don't seem to have, and that is indifference. People that really don't see an acute need for God, you know, they've got everything. 
Life is good. They may call themselves a believer. They might even practice the traditions, but there isn't quite that hunger for God, you know, that desire for more of God. I think today's equivalent would be what Tim Keller often used to call the Manhattan congregants of his church in New York. He used to say, we have a problem with middle-class Christians. It's those that live in relative comfort. And I think we can relate to that in, in living in Sweden, right? In, in a relatively prosperous and peaceful nation. And for, for those kind of people, it's, we, they don't have a problem listing their wants. You know, I need to renovate the house, I need a new car, I need a better job, etc. But they can have a hard time seeing what are their real needs. What are the underlying needs, the things that actually bring fruit in their life? That's a little bit harder. And I have to admit, I'm in the danger zone of being a middle-class Christian. <laughs> I have a house. <laughs> I have a car. Thank you to the Abenafis. I got two kids. I don't have a dog, but I pretty much ticked off most of the adult goals, right, that, that you have as a young adult. But me and Lynn are both employed, so sometimes when we're in a connect group, I can get a little bit stumped when people say, what's your prayer request? I'm like, I, so I even say sometimes, it's all pretty good right now, yeah, yeah. Just you know, pray for God's blessings or you know, some generic prayer. And not always, because it's not always that I have a screaming need, like, you know, I've got a sick relative, you know, please pray for that. Or, you know, I'm worried about losing my job because of laying off people. It's not always that I have that. So I'm just kind of in this bit of indifferent, passive mode, you know what I mean? Nothing spurring me on into prayer to, like, go seeking God, come in expectant and hopeful that God's going to speak to me. Reality is, though, that if I'm being honest, there are moments every day where I need more from God. I need more patience to be a parent. <laughs> I need more mercy in the workplace sometimes. I, I, I need more love in my marriage. I need more of God's fruits in my life because I'm still a sinner in need of God's grace. I'm still a sinner, but I forget that sometimes. I'm still short. I'm still coming up short. I still need God more than ever. I just want to invite the band up now as I come into a close. You know, in Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount, he declared, blessed are the poor, the persecuted, the suffering. Why did he say that? Because these people recognize a need for God. The biggest threat to our faith, especially in this part of the world, I believe, is indifference. And we all go through times of indifference from time to time. It's an issue that for us that live in this country of so much blessings, we've got so much support, so much opportunities. We've got a safety net of the welfare system. And, and I know some of us have had it harder getting into society. That's why we set up City Hearts. But for the most part, life is good here in Sweden. We, we probably have relatives or friends in other parts of the world where they have a lot tougher life, a lot more obvious challenges day to day, right? So we can have difficulty sometimes seeing the need for God in our everyday life. There's no urgency sometimes. It can be, ah, you know, there's always next Sunday. You know, God's always going to be there, right? But blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness, for they will be filled. I believe God wants to fill us, but we've got to hunger and we've got to thirst. We've got to have that. We've got to have that. We've got to recognize a need for God in our life. You know, talking to my mother who works with, some of you have met her, she works with addicts. She tells me that these people, they, they, they need to submit their life to God every day because they know they just can't do it without God. They just can't do it. They're not going to survive. They're not going to live. That's how desperate they are for God. It's a whole different world. <laughs> Meanwhile, I come to church. Yep, I'm more happy to be here. God's house. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Go home. <laughs> it's all good. I belong. I believe I belong because I do, but I don't think I need anything. I can be like my son, you know, when I've set the table, made nice food. No, thanks. I'm not hungry. I can be like, I'm not hungry. I'm good. I'm full, actually. Thank you, Lord. I'm blessed. Not hungry today. How much are we leaving at the table that God has prepared for you? God has prepared something for us every time we gather. Because every time we gather, there is a table. You know, the thing about those my mother works with is because of their obvious need. I mean, for some of them, it's kind of written on their faces. You can see that they have a hard life. It's easy to see, just like those poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame that they brought into the banquet. They don't even feel worthy to sit at the table. They don't feel worthy to be amongst us because they got so much shame in their life. They're not like us. We don't have a problem coming to church often because we feel like we belong. They don't have that. They're just happy for the morsels under the table because of their history. And yet Jesus invites them in. Those guests in the parable would have been reluctant to actually accept the invite. You know why that is? Because in those days, if someone invited you into their home or to a banquet, you had to reciprocate. And they knew, you can't be inviting me because I don't have anything to give. I can't give you anything back. I have nothing. I'm bankrupt. I live on the streets. I'm destitute. So they were reluctant. That's why he said, compel them to come in. Jesus is inviting us, all of us. He's inviting us to a banquet that we cannot match. It's a feast to end all feasts. And we are on the guest list. All of us are on the guest list because of his grace and nothing more. It's nothing to do with who we are or what we have, our history. Just as the family table is the place where we as members of that family experience home, that feeling of home. In the same way, God's table is the place where we, as broken sinners, we find our belonging at his table. I just want to ask you to stand as we close in prayer right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. Thank you for your table. want to pray for each and every heart here this morning, Lord. We, we just want to start off, Lord, by saying, we, Lord, we thank you that you came and that you dwell among us so that that which was once a place of exclusion where we couldn't come in, 
could become a place of inclusion for us. I thank you, Lord, that you're no longer far away from us, but that you actually live in us. Despite who we are or what we've done, you live in us. That's incredible, Lord. We are your living temples, temples of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you'd invite, you invite us to your table just as we are. Your desire is that we come and that we taste and that we see that the Lord is good again and again and again because we need that, Lord. We need it in our life. Lord, I pray that you convict us of the times that we haven't made room for you. We say, sorry, Lord. Or the times that we just haven't confessed our need for you. but I want us to do that now. So church, I just ask you to join me in a prayer. I don't know if we have it up on the screen, perhaps not this morning, but I'll read it for you and just just contemplate on this. It's a prayer that I often pray during my morning prayers. It's a famous traditional prayer just to confess before God. Sometimes we don't know what we need to confess, but we always have something that it comes between us and the Lord. So let's just pray right now. It says, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways in the glory of your name. Amen. Hallelujah.